Hello and welcome to Manga Splaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deba Oki, David Brothers, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. Well, haha. You know, there's almost no way that we're going to overcome our shoujo manga deficit in manga splaining, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And since we've just gotten through the the super saucy, spicy bits of Birds of Shangri-La, followed by Dick Fight Island. We're going to go back into slightly sweeter territory with My Love Mix-Up. It's a shoujo manga by Aruko. She's the artist who did um, My Love Story, and story by Wataru Hinekure. It is translated by Jan Cash, touch-up and lettering by Inori Fukuda Trent, designed by Yukiko Whitley and edited by Nancy Thistlewaite. It is a shoujo beat manga, which would make you think it's a shoujo manga. And it kind of is, except it kind of isn't sometimes. Let me see if I can explain. <laughs> I'm okay. ready to hear this. Mm-hmm. The description of the back says, Aoki has a crush on Hashimoto, the girl in the seat next to him in class. But he despairs when he borrows her eraser and sees that she's written the name of another boy, Ida, on it make matters more confusing, Ida sees him holding that very eraser and thinks Aoki has a crush on him. And that is the love mix-up of my love mix-up. So inherently, it's it's like a shoujo manga. It has a lot of the same feel as a shoujo manga. There's like, you know, the school play, there's the crushes, there's the you know, Japanese high school, la la la. But there's a little twist here in that there's a boy who has a crush on a girl, but he ends up having a mix-up where the guy in front of him thinks he has a crush on him. And anyway, it's just, it's all convoluted. <laughs> so let's see, how shall we start? Let's put David on the spot. Cause I rarely do that. David, okay. what did you think? Of my <laughs> I have a ton of takes for this one. Ooh. So first I should say, I also loved my love story. The writer was different from than my love mix up, but like the art was really good and entertaining and kind of funny. So it's cool to see Aruko mm-hmm. doing another romantic comedy. And something I never talk about is I saw Roxanne when I was like four or five years old, the Steve Martin movie. So like Cyrano <laughs> yeah. de Bergerac type yeah. stories yeah. are like a deep-seated favorite of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this story is kind of like a love triangle where the different sides are tricking each other into being each other's Cyrano de Bergerac and like trying to hook each other up with the other opposite numbers. So it's really sweet and really funny. And the art, there's very few backgrounds, which I noticed, but I think it's because yeah. the emphasis is on the characters, like the, the physical, emotional acting. Mm-hmm. And like the, fa- the faces are really good. Like the sound, some of the sound effect choices have been really fun too. Overall, like really good book. I was pleasantly surprised, even though I knew I liked my love story. Because this was also one where I was like, oh, I would totally keep reading this, you know, even like without the podcast. Mm. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of cute because the book starts off when you open the first page, it says, this is a slightly silly love story about some good, eager high school kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's fairly accurate. Everyone is so We've good natured in this book that it was actually almost a running joke. Because. <laughs> Yeah. Every guy in the book it has someone else tell him, like, oh, you're such a nice person. Why are you so nice? It yeah. felt very pointed. I don't know. But I'm sure we'll get to it. I'm curious, Chip. What did you think of this one? 
I had a lot, a lot of debates with myself as to how I was going to handle this episode. There, there was a part of me that wants to say nothing at all and just listen to what people have to say about the book, because this is not a book for me. Out of all the books that we've covered on this podcast, this is the book that is least for me, I think. Really? Wow. Tell me why. Hmm. I don't I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's clear. Okay. And partly because of the things that David just said, like all the characters are just like kind and nice and very kind of it felt very one dimensional, like kind of right across the board. So there was no hmm. There was actually no stakes or antagonists or whatever. Like I found the the conceit really interesting. Like the beginning, the uh, the eraser mix up is really smart and cute, and I found the ending really kind of smart and cute with the twist at the end. Yeah, but everything in between was just like, oh, I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. How about you? How about this? Maybe this? I don't know. Like, like. <laughs> constantly and people saying things like i think if you actually wrote it all out as a script and read it you'd be like oh what like this doesn't why is this character even saying that like like so much of this it felt so forced to create the mix-ups mm-hmm. um uh but like constantly and then just things is kind of dropped in like the play like i get that it's a trope <laughs> i get it but it was just like you just turned a page it's like Oh my goodness, that play that we've never mentioned is happening right now. <laughs> and we need Cinderella or whatever. Like it's just like uh it was just so so painful back and forth. And yeah, I did I just bounced off every single character. And like there are just scenes where I'm just like I would stop at the end of the page and be like, what? Like why would why would someone write that? Like when he <laughs> when when he goes to the roof and thinks that Aoki is going to kill himself, and he stops him. Directly after that, still thinking he was going to kill himself over his love for him, he asks him, what does it feel like to love someone? <laughs> Which is crazy. Like, just, that's a, that's a bonkers thing to write. It's a bonkers conceit. And then yeah. directly after that, he asks him what his type is. <laughs> Like it's 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 clueless on so many levels that I'm just like I don't I don't I don't get why I mean again like I I'm I, I try to be careful here because it's it's clearly not for me and maybe I'm looking too much into this like it's it's all farce straight across the board but I just don't find the characters interesting enough to actually go with it and like yeah and like you know David mentioned like they're all just so kind but it but it also it undercuts so many of the characters actions like Ida helps repaint the mural that gets destroyed or whatever the banner. And then mm-hmm. like, this is like halfway through the book and Aoki's like, he's staying to help. Why is he staying to help? Why is he being so kind? I'm like, like you've already set up that they're all extremely kind. <laughs> like, what? like, like there's all these questions going through the characters heads where I'm just like, I don't, I don't know why they're having these questions at any point during this book. So I'm like, and David is being very generous with his comment on the backgrounds and like <laughs> it being a conscious, a conscious choice, <laughs> like <laughs> to really, uh, uh, you know, to really uh, highlight the, the facial expressions or whatever. And I will say the facial expressions are great. Like there are, mm. there are, there are drawings in here of expressions that uh, absolutely made me chuckle. I don't think it's a, conscious choice to drop the backgrounds to favor those faces and there, there's a few kind of rendering issues that i found 
kind of problems throughout. So anyways, yeah, eight plus book, a uh, nine out of 10. I, I can't wait for volume two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love it. I was, I, I mean, what, since this is one of the first shoujo manga that we've read, in part of yeah. me wondered, you know, would this make sense to you if you didn't read other shoujo manga? Well, that's what, that's, that's what I wonder too. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. like you, you mentioned, like, you know, of course it's got to play and, you know, we had to play in B-Stars. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. there's some sort of precedent there, but like, I don't know enough of the tropes and the things that kind of, I guess, make up the genre to be like, oh, isn't that either, either, I don't know, to know those tropes means you either kind of go along with the tropes or understand when they're making fun of the tropes. And I don't have either of those. So I think a lot of the dialogue kind of fell flat for me because it, it maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I just need to read more of this to kind of like fall into the rhythm of it. It's kind of like reading superhero comics where it's like, I think we've talked before just about the idea of like, you know, you go to the theater to see uh, Sin City or Watchmen and you hear the actors yeah. say the lines out loud. You're like, Ooh, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't, you don't realize it when you're reading the comics because you're so used to that kind of language in the comics mm-hmm. within that genre. Mm-hmm. And if you're used to this kind of language and these kind of characters and how they act, maybe against sense or type, then, then this would go down easier for you. So yeah, so I, I I bounced off it. I th- I thought there were some charming drawings, and I think the idea was itself charming. But I also didn't realize until I finished the book that there was a writer and an artist, and I <laughs> I, I actually laughed out loud. Why? Because I was like, two people. <laughs> like I didn't like like the like I. <laughs> Like if the if the artist needed someone to write this, then I don't know why the artist didn't draw a background. You got like if your if your passion is just to draw, then I expected more kind of from the drawing instead of just the drawing as a way to tell the story. And then if there's a writer who's planning all this out and their whole focus is writing, then again, why is the play mentioned on the same page when they need to have someone fill in for the play? So stuff like the stuff like that is kind of blew my mind a little bit. People are going to tear me apart in the comments, and I know it. I'm sure this is beloved. I don't know if this is Nos- I don't know if this is Nausicaa level, but <laughs> no, no, this is a relatively brand new new manga. I learned my okay. lesson with that one. Like, I, like I had a whole discussion online with some other people saying where they said, "Don't give Chip fruits basket because it'll break my heart if he <laughs> if he rips it to pieces." Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I feel so bad. Like I never, I never. I never critique in the, you know, kind of North American comics because I know everyone that's made it or these kind of things always going to bite me in the ass. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very conscious to not do it with any kind of entertainment that could possibly be touched by friends of mine. And, and yet yeah, here I am just <laughs> ripping into a biz publication. <laughs> uh, I mean, you probably right. won't run into Aruko at the at the San Diego Comic Con Marriott. Yeah, Mar. I know. Probably, but probably, probably won't have a knife. It'll be fine. Yeah, or her fans won't answer, have knives. The editor, she won't. She would be too shy to whack you. Okay. All Why right. don't you get how good let's, this is? All right. Let's just let's just start this podcast over, and uh, I'll I'll just I'll be like, oh, it was fun. <sighs> I do think it's important that people get to like stuff without having to run to the woods to avoid Nazca fans, though. <laughs> or get to dislike stuff, I guess. Dislike. I don't. I don't think that that's important at all. No, actually. no. <laughs> Chris, what yes, did you Chris, think what, of this? Why don't you come on in? 
<laughs> I mean, between what David said and what Chip said, it's pretty much covered, right? Like, wow. I don't know that you need my opinion. Oh, come on. <laughs> but no, the book is fantastic. Like, it's I laughed out loud constantly. <laughs> I thought the faces were great. <laughs> I really thought that the artist developed quite a bit from my love story, which I thought was really interesting. I this first volume, and I was reading it next to Andrew, who had also read it for work, and he loved it <laughs> as well. So I I kind of, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this has that will-they-won't-they, they, wishy-washy, back-and-forth romance stuff that Chip bounced off of pretty hard in our dining table, where he mm. was like, just get to the point. None of this is real. None of your none of your issues matter to me. Oh, I don't recall And I could like see that. That, that that part of it, I... I don't know. People, go back and listen. <laughs> Leave knife threats in the comments for Chip. <laughs> but I, I do think, I don't think anything you said was wrong. That's the other yeah. thing. Like, if you are not in the right place for this book, or you don't, uh, you know, you know what? If you're just not in the right place for the book, I think you could totally bounce off of it really hard. But it's charming as hell. Like, it is so charming. And it is, in as much as the, they keep pointing out that the characters are pretty good-natured, the the story itself is very good natured, even in like the level of embarrassment it puts the lead character Alki through, is so like light, like it's like a the lightest possible, softest touch embarrassment, and it's you know, and it it does make it's it's so light, and he is so over the top that it makes other people's super serious over the top reactions to him. That's where the humor is for me, where like. Oh, he thinks he's jumping off of a building. I've got to sit him down and talk to him and be like, well, what do you like? What do you, you know, whatever. And yeah, that was funny. I don't know. I, I, I think I'm pretty close to where David's at and I have to assume Deb liked it because she picked it. <laughs> yeah. So she actually forgot to read it for this week. <laughs> this, <laughs> this may not be a manga for people who don't read much manga. And I think that that is fascinating. Mm. Deb, did you like it? You did pick did. it after it all. Did you yes. read it? I've, I've read I've read volume one and volume two, and I'm going to buy volume three because it's just so funny and cute. Yeah. I mean, a Chip's comic kind of made me think about some things. Like, in some ways, mm, Chocho manga was my crack. Right? It was my gateway drug. Mm. I got that's how I got into manga in the first place. Was I was reading Chocho manga, and I've been reading it for years, and I'm so used to certain things about it, like. There's very minimal backgrounds because it's all screen tone, right? It's yeah. all the sparklies, mm. it's the flowers, you know, and they don't really, it's not like seinen manga where they're going through great pains to draw, you know, Akira level architecture, right? <laughs> but it's kind of like, it's more moody and it's more mm. to set a mood of romance and softness and escape and loveliness, you know? But at the same time, kind of like, mm, you know, like, you outgrow show. I mean, as a as an adult woman, you outgrow shoujo manga at a certain point, right? Because you think, "Oh, for Christ's sakes, do something, you people!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like relationships aren't that difficult. Come on, yeah. you know, or like, can't it be more complicated than this? Or like, you know, like, no, I was in high school, and none of my romances were never this cute and sweet. They were always complicated and messy. Wait, 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 just a second. Are, are you telling me at no point did you ever say, sorry, let me see. Since this is my first crush, I want to cherish it? Ouch. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's so much about shoujo manga that's really mm. weird because it's a lot of it's set in a Japanese high school, which is so not mm. like an American high school, right? 
And, mm. you know, there's all kinds of conventions and the way the girls act. So, like, part of me found this book really funny because if you, if you make Aoki a girl, this is, he's acting exactly like most of the girls in Shoujo manga, but it's funny because it's a guy. Mm. To me, it is. Yeah, I can see that. Everyone is dumb and kind in this book, and it is a funny little place to spend time. And I think that that's... I like the little asides. That's great, you know? And the fact that there are no backgrounds is a big part of it. Like, it's just like, you just kind of like breeze through it all. And my love story had that too, with amazing facial expressions and things like that. Ori Monogatari, for those of you who don't buy books... <laughs> It's really just about like the dumbest possible protagonist in that book who can't conceive that anyone could ever be attracted to him because he's like a big dude who has like a gorilla type face situation going on. And it's really funny and dumb and cute. And finally, around volume three, he's like, she does like me. And you think, oh, it's the end of the series. It's like, no, because he's still really dumb <laughs> and he doesn't know how to date somebody and he doesn't know how to. So it's it's about this character who exists to play off of all of these shoujo archetypes mm -hmm. and if you don't know what the archetypes are if you're willing to just be like oh this is a funny like book full of dumb people who are being kind of nice to each other then it's fine mm -hmm. but if you're like trying to read it like it's not shoujo manga <laughs> i've got bad news for you about genre conventions they don't really work if you're not on board with like the stories don't work if you're not on board with the conventions 99 percent of the time and it's and i'm not I'm not going to pick any fights and name things that don't work outside of their genre conventions because ooh, knives in a comment Cakes. section, but <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that I just, I, I can't read anymore. Yeah. I actually got into a bit of a fight with Ed Brubaker mm -hmm. about, about it, about Gotham central where it's like in Gotham central, the Joker terrorizes a city, kills a bunch of people, whatever. And the cops shoot him to stop him and they're about to kill him and don't. And you're just like, no, that's not A, how cops work. B, what should happen to the Joker? C, you know, they shoot him. He ends up in a hospital bed. And I'm like, come on. And he's like, what? Come on. Like, I'm not going to be able to kill the Joker. <laughs> like, this is, this is a book that's the worst selling Batman book. It's the best Batman book at the time, but it's the worst selling Batman book. They're not going to let me kill their franchise character, who's now, since that time, been in four movies, I think. Five, maybe? I didn't see Harley Quinn. So, like, yeah. Like, I that's a genre convention that like, yeah, of course the cops would kill the joke. The cops will just kill any random stuff. Like that's what cops do. You're going to tell me that the Joker gets away at the end again after killing a bunch of people and whatever. Like, no. And I, and I, it was the, that was the moment I tapped out of a lot of, a lot of superhero comics. And that was a good one. Like that's one that I still wouldn't mind owning. It was actually really, really good, but yeah, genre conventions are rough. And if you're not on board, like, that's why I think, you know, you look back first season, you look at what we recommended and it's all these like, it's Akira. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's all these, like it's, it's the queen of Jose manga with Kyoko Kazaki and it's the king of Seinen manga with Otomo. And it's like, we just go through and it's like, we're trying to pick these like pinnacles. And I think it is interesting to dig down a little bit to things like postmodern shoujo manga and i think that's what deb's picked mm -hmm. here where it's like shoujo manga that is self-referential and super aware of shoujo manga so if like deb david and i you've read at least 40 volumes <laughs> of shoujo manga piece in some cases maybe hundreds yeah it's like the funniest nicest thing but if you're reading this expecting akira <laughs> oh i've got well, look, well, uh, look, team, chip, look. team chip right there <laughs> I, I was not expecting akira 
I think you were, <laughs> sir. I actually, the, the line Chip quoted is a good example of what Christopher is talking about. Mm. I keep calling you Christopher like I'm in Resident Evil. Well, isn't this one big family reunion? Chris and Claire Redfield. You've really become quite an inconvenience. Because I put my display <laughs> name as Chris this week. <laughs> it's fine. Chris yeah. is fine. But the, like, cherishing your first crush, saying that out loud, is very much like a springtime of youth thing, which is a, like, a concept yeah. in manga and anime and other things. Where, like, your teenage years are the most important because it's when everything important kind of blossoms and becomes. And so her saying that out loud is like if someone was walking by Spider-Man and was like, man, like, all this power and responsibility, you know, you just got to you know, do what you can. And you're like, you can't say the theme so yeah. directly in superhero yeah. comics. But in this, this is all this is. Yeah. Even yeah. down to Ida being like, you know, I know you're heartbroken, but don't do anything you'll regret while he's like holding the guy down in a kissing pose. Yeah, right. There's like a cabbage <laughs> so at good. one point. I like that. Yeah. I yeah. Like, yeah. There's some really funny, one. like there's that part in chapter two where Ida's running after uh, Akun. And mm-hmm. He's on a bike. And then you see him like approaching, like running really fast behind the bike. And then there's a part where he, he, you know, Akun and him are sitting down. He says, what? You want to know more about Aoki? And then Ida says, you're buddies, right? And then Akun says, well, yeah, we are. But what's this about? And in the background, it says, things that are of interest to Akun by ranking. Number 156, salmon skins. <laughs> Number 57, <laughs> Aoki. Number 58, you're lit. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So, so, that is losing it. <laughs> yeah, he, he ranks just behind Salmon Skin <laughs> in his like, personal hierarchy. Uh, it's so dumb. Amazing. Wait, was that chapter two or really? volume two? Yeah. I don't remember that. Chapter two. Chapter two. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no page number, so I'm sorry. Page 66-ish. It's just that stuff that just kills me. <laughs> Ida, as like the ultimate straight man, was oh, murdering yeah, yeah. me this book because he kept doing things that like I related to. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's nice. And then like, uh oh, like a half second after. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's so supportive and kind and like understanding. And I'm like, this is actually like an aspirational type of guy to be. But he's also dumb. And yeah, yeah. Like just the mix up that's at like the heart of all of this is just everyone not using like, proper names you know it's never like yeah oh, so and so likes Ida. it's like oh you're liked you know someone likes you yeah he just perpetuates all <laughs> this stuff but he takes it so seriously i think that it makes him like the most slapstick in a way because he's just always mm. down to like get trapped in this weird you know quagmire yeah do you think that makes it harder or easier to translate I know the lack of pronouns in Japanese writing can sometimes make things hard to translate. It's way harder. But in this, is it like, but is it, but in this instance where you're like, specifically don't use it to create mm. confusion, does that make it easier? I'm curious. I would, I would love to talk. Who translated this one, by the way? Jan Cash. Jan Mitsuko Cash. Jan Cash, if you're listening, please let us know if it made it harder or easier. Yeah. To oh, God. I hope no fun. one worked working on this listens. <laughs> oh, you know they will. <laughs> But that kind of Otterko, if you're listening, Chip's a good guy. We promise. He's just a little slow on the <laughs> David. Other. David, I want you to bleep, bleep, bleep out like every second thing I've said on this podcast. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go full on like edit your dialogue into other sentences. Yeah, <laughs> I've got enough at this point.
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so is this typical shoujo at this point or is it does this stand out as being special to you two mm, i think it stands out i know my love story when it was mm. coming out and deb has a much more nuanced answer probably yeah. but when my love story was coming out i would mention it was my favorite they're like oh i like that one that one's weird and then other people they would just go talk about shoujo <laughs> that i kind of have no interest in because it is more traditional and there's again nothing wrong with traditional stuff but i like things that are maybe a little bit more self-aware in the shoujo vein. And I like, I mean, in my love story, sorry, the lead character is like a buff dude. So that's a fun thing. We're just, we're just editing the episode where we talk about body types in women's oh, manga and yeah. BL in particular. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's the one guy that doesn't look like a shoujo hero is the hero of my love story. This is immediately my favorite book now, actually. <laughs> like, it's pretty good. I don't know, but I, I see a lot of stuff comes out the one book that I was actually able to successfully recommend in the shoujo space, because the editors at Viz are that are the shoujo editors are like they know their stuff and they know what the market wants, is Prince Freya, which is coming out right now. That was one of my recommendations, and that's a book that's like a gender swap, really detailed, really clean art style, and it fascinating too, actually. So I'd be curious to to show Chip something like that. That is something that's a little bit more polished in a way that we think of that still has shoujo tropes and things like that but yeah the majority of shoujo for me feels like it's i mean none of it feels like it's for me but it doesn't feel as enjoyable but deb you've you've read a lot more contemporary shoujo than i have what do you think is this a standout like david saying or i think it's i just thought it was so much fun you know because Mm. it it Mm. like like you said it just almost made me laugh to tears like it's just there's some moments that i just think are goofy but I think Chip's point about, you know, like where there's a writer and then there's an artist where I think this happens in American comics too, where the writer writes too much and mm-hmm. yeah. doesn't let the, the artist, you know, just tell the story visually. So I'm curious what will happen when we get to In the Clear Moonlight Dusk, because one, that creator, Mika Yamamori, is a much more experienced creator and the art is really lovely. And she wrote and drew it. So there's lots of moments where the she lets just the facial expressions express things, and it has much more breathing room than this. This one, mm. it's kind of manic. Like there's so much blah 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 happening. Yeah, and I, mm. it's interesting because like when you get to volume two, there's a lot less of the blah 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 blah. It actually gets funnier, it, and largely due to Akun, who is just kind of a dope. <laughs> <laughs> like there's this moment where like Hashimoto and Hashimoto gets way more less sweet and cute. She actually kind of shows off. Uh, more spirit so there's this point where she she slaps akun and then akun says oh yeah she's i don't know she's just a strong like a gorilla <laughs> that's another <laughs> that's trope, right the goes, super strong tiny yeah. girl and he says you know how she was cool in an understated way her slap was as powerful as a gorilla's and he goes maybe i'll start working now too and then hashimoto says akun don't ever tell her that why <laughs> it's a compliment so i mean so maybe this partly has like you know first volume because it what this is what taru hinokure's first manga that Mm -hmm. she wrote so maybe it has some of that first manga i guess stumbles too too much dialogue too much trying trying to Mm -hmm. pack too much in i feel like some of that gets overcome in volume two but okay i do appreciate the fact that you know maybe if you don't read much shoujo manga and you don't you don't it's hard to get appreciate the jokes 
it feels almost like starting Marvel comics with damage control or something like that, where it's like <laughs> playing on the tropes. Like you might get it and it'll be funny, but like you'll, you'll miss a layer of stuff. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's fair. That's fair. You mentioned the screen tone earlier. Mm. There's layers of screen tone and it was actually sort of distracting while I was reading, like how clip studio paint ish it was. Oh, that yeah? makes sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Cause in some cases you can see, you know, kind of the brush strokes that they were using. Others, you know, the the burst balloons always have kind of like a really regular vibe. It felt it made the book feel very like today, hmm. even though it's sort of like a traditional hmm. type of story. It's not necessarily like blazing new trails, but it felt very modern, at least in production. Hmm. Which made me think of like the old thing about like putting up web comics and getting like that quick feedback, hmm. and how this would totally be one of those stories where you could do that, like you know, publish on Pixiv or something like that. There's a pretty steady punchline, you know, every two or three pages. I didn't mind the screen tone so much, but if you go to page, just like page two, three, the page that's facing the table of contents, Mm -hmm. I actually thought that the gray tones when she was trying to do rendering were awful. Like that, like arm on Alki is like, ooh, that's rough. But on the cover where it's a watercolor effect, and I can't tell if it's traditional media or digital, I actually kind of liked the sloppiness of it. I think it gives Mm -hmm. it like a lot of character same thing with the big double page spread pages four or five which i have to assume was in color at some point i wish i would mm-hmm. see it in color but yeah the screen tone never really bothered me it just is part of the again part of the genre conventions it was maybe a little overdone yeah. but you could say the same thing about the fact that aoki switches into like cartoon reaction face like every other spread basically yeah. like he's constantly doing like a ridiculous face and it is if that's overused then like <laughs> Actually, I, I don't think I noticed this at the time. Page 22, this is way too sad. He's got a like terrifying, upset face on the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. So, yeah, like, and that, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I don't, I didn't mind the screen tone as much. I understand what you're saying, but, like, I don't know. I, it's, <laughs> as, as my husband usually says, more is more. So yeah. just slap it on the page. Like, let's keep going. Because there are some pages where there's almost nothing going on as well. It's sort of like how <laughs> you notice crosshatching in like certain cape comics. It's like, oh, this is like a mm. thing for this like genre, subgenre. Yeah, yeah, but it just it. I mean, the problem is just when it competes on the page, yeah. like like with crosshatching in the superhero comics, like when there's some artists that do cross hatching on a superhero page and then stippling and then like, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, like heavy brush strokes and then the tiny, like the, then it just doesn't feel unified. So uh, once in a while, this slips into that kind of feeling a bit where there's too many different types of screen tone and mm-hmm. rendering happening on a page. Yeah. I found the screen tone mm. kind of only got distracting later on in the book. Like it, it felt pretty standard at the beginning. And then as it kind of went on, they're trying like all these other kind of various effects. I'm like, Oh yeah, it might be a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Like the rendering on the chapter two title pages feels different. Oh, just mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. Where it looks like she's doing it with like a 10% opacity brush, just like over and over again. But it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even the yeah, line like, work is different. Like the, the outline is much thicker than she draws in the pages. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mind yeah, that. Yeah, so he looks part. older almost. It's kind of interesting. If you go to page 177, uh, there's an interesting thing about screen tone here. And her hair, Hashimoto's hair, has 
gone on after she's laid in like two layers of screen tone, including one that was like watercolory and then added white streaks on top and then some like hair reflections and highlights. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to see a shoujo manga that's this computery. Mm. That was page 77. And, uh, one, 170. sorry, one, one seven, uh, wait, says it's page 170. Oh no, sorry. 169, 169. And where she's saying my crush is Ida, mm. not Ida, <laughs> which if you don't know how to pronounce Japanese, by the way, Ida and I, uh, right on the page, Ida and Ida look like they're the same word, which is pretty it's great. A, yeah. Ida. Great joke in English. Uh, that is a good joke. <laughs> yeah. There's like a computeriness to this. And maybe that's what you're getting at with like the overdoing the screen mm-hmm. tone, but it's like specifically that the, how you see the mangaka's hand on the page is like something you just don't see a lot of, or I haven't seen a lot of personally in shoujo manga. So that's kind of fascinating. It, it gives it almost like, a, like an indie comics vibe, kind of like learning to use our tools as we put out the work that we're doing. And that is fascinating for like a commercial shoujo manga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot here. I think that, I think that this is, well, I mean, I think it's good, but I think that it's like interesting as well. Yeah. And it re- provoked such a strong reaction from Chip that there's got to be something here that it's like, because if it was just mid, you'd been like, eh, like, eh, I didn't really care for it, blah, blah, blah. But you, you said it was the least you book that we've ever reviewed. That's pretty, that's a pretty intense reaction. But to this does that no, no, that but that doesn't mean, or just that he yeah. didn't like it as much as other things. Because yeah, yeah, like yeah. different the, weights. Yeah, but we've read books that he didn't like, that he aggressively thought were were bad. And didn't have as strong a reaction to them as that. Mm. I think that that's fascinating. Yeah, this is this is yeah, this is the least me book. Like, because I don't, I don't know the genre. It's not the, a genre I would ever probably pick up on my own. The art style is not an art style that like I'm drawn to. So yeah, yeah, but I don't hate it. Like, like I'm, I'm, no, I know, I'm frustrated by it. Because I, because uh, again, like I think the conceit was really strong, but then I think the conceit was is kind of wasted when it, they could have properly built stuff throughout the book and made it kind of a, a more richer experience, I guess. Yeah. I kind of wonder whether if you like, there are other there are other boys love type manga like I cannot reach you or Sasaki and Miyano. It's a, it's a boys mm. love trope to have like two high school boys, kind of. Does he like me? Does he not like me? Kind of, should we get together? Should we not get together? So this is kind of a mashup of regular shoujo manga and that type of BL manga. Like, what if those two like ran into each other in the hallway and they got their chocolate and their peanut butter? You know, <laughs> kind of what's happening here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, I don't, I don't actually mind the will they, won't they stuff. Like, you know, Chris mentioned that I had some sort of like horrible, visceral reaction to. Our dining table, but that's not the case at all. No, I didn't like there were there that. were there were parts in that where I was just like, okay, maybe that's a bit much. But like, I actually found it super charming, and the fact that like it was like a self-contained volume. Fair. I, I didn't I didn't like everything about our dining table, but I, I liked it a lot, lot more than this. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's great. Yeah. I'm super glad. I mean, I'm kind of sad for Deb, but <laughs> glad for I'm me. Not her. <laughs> our dining table was aimed at a more adult audience, right? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. So kind of I'm an ad- I'm an adult. Yeah. Who has never been mixed up in love, so there's nothing no, to No, no. Not even once. Not even once. You know what? Okay, like uh, <laughs> you know, obviously I did want to cherish my first high school crush. Mm. 
when I had it. <laughs> so I have experienced that. But yeah, never mixed up in love. I know exactly nice. what I want all the time. And I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I'll give you that. I, Deb, I'm curious. <laughs> I want to, I, I apologize for talking about Chip like he's not actually saying it, but like, <laughs> oh, no. no, you don't. No, you the thing don't. That Chip re- reacted to here is like the, the, the cherish yourself in love. I, I totally get that. That's like an awkward as hell line. But within the context of this work, which is running in theoretically a shoujo magazine that's full of these kinds of emotions and ideas being expressed, like, if you haven't encountered, do you believe that there is a teenage girl out there who would say, I wanted to cherish my first love? Do you believe that that's real? Because I do. And I would love to hear what you think. I'm trying to go back how many years. <laughs> I think, I think yes. I mean, I think in when you're in high school or when you're in, in middle school, and a lot of those people who read these types of books are in middle school, like, you know, like they're young girls. A lot of them don't look to shoujo manga as like, oh, is this what it's like? Oh, romance, mm. you know? And then they have like all these, like in shoujo manga, there's something kind of funky about like, how, you know, the, there's a big thing about your first kiss. And there's a big thing about that moment when like you stop calling the guy by his last name, but you call him by his first name. Like that's a big deal at shoujo manga. Big yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah. big advance in your relationship. So there's, I think like if you're if you're going from that stage from boys have cooties to oh my god <laughs> he's kind of cute and you read these manga and you go like oh is that what it's like yeah love is so amazing isn't it and then you become like me and you're like well it's kind of overrated but whatever okay <laughs> 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 guys are jerks I, <laughs> like it's never this fair, nice whatever fair. you know but i i look i sometimes i like you know dipping into the bubble bath of this sweetness mm-hmm. oh isn't mm. that cute and i like this is more tolerable for me because it's it's just funny it's just stupid mm-hmm. and funny sometimes i yeah. like it a lot i think if your diet is all jojo manga then you are self-aware enough to be like this is a feeling that I've been waiting for because I've been reading about it for six years now. <laughs> I'm waiting for this feeling to happen. But I remember being so unself-aware about romance and love into my like twenties, like so unself-aware. So yeah, that seemed to me like, Oh, this is like a, your product of this like cycle of reading shoujo manga. <laughs> then acting, Reflected in the show as a young yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you get, you grow up and you make shoujo manga for the next generation. Anyway, that was the, when he said that, when Chip said that specifically, I was just like, yeah, that's, that feels real. And I, I'm, thank you so much for your perspective. Deb. I didn't mean to cut you off, David. What yeah. were you going to say? Uh, I forgot. I was so rudely cut off. No, it Aww. wasn't. <laughs> sure it wasn't important. Deep all of that. <laughs> no, what were you talking about when I started to say something? I have no idea. Just the springtime of youth crush part. Oh, the comics being sort of aspirational. I think it's very interesting. Hmm. Mm. They're kind of making their yeah. own myths as they become, I guess. Mm. Because mm-hmm. as while Deb was explaining that, all I was thinking was like, holy crap, my version of this was Peter Parker and Mary Jane being married when I started reading Spider-Man comics. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is what adult life is like. It's like tough <laughs> to make rent, but like you've got your lady by your side, you know, 
and kind of the and same. And she's a lingerie model. Yeah, and an actress, <laughs> and so it'll be okay. <laughs> but very similar vibes, but executed differently, which I kind of enjoy seeing the different ways like we kind of work through these feelings in our comics. But like, D- yeah. Deb, what was the best thing in this book for you? Like, did anything specifically hook you or was it the total package? Uh, you know, it, I just, I just, I, I'm kind of a sucker for these, um, these dumb, dumb facial expressions <laughs> mm. that he that he pulls off, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the, the, I mean, it's stupid that he overreacts in a lot of ways, but the, it feels like the artist just goes out of her way to find new ways to make him look horrified. Yeah, and then it's just the that that twist at the end that was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. It was delivered really well. Yeah. I just thought it was fun. I'm curious to see the Japanese edition, like what the what the kanji look like, if it's the same character for the names. Yeah. Oh. Because the way like that shared word balloon is, like they're kind of stacked. They were it's like a cool effect you could only pull off in Japanese text for the most part without right. laying it out like this. Mm-hmm. Mm, they do a little bit of that with oh, the character for love is the same character as it's close to the character for weird. Mm-hmm. And that's a cool on panel thing that they yeah. do here where they like actually explain that out. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that that's the same for the name. I wonder. Mm. Hmm, that's neat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh? And this is part of the fun of reading translated works is like getting a good story in your language and then also kind of seeing the little like trivia you can pick up from the other language as well. Mm-hmm. I love that there's this part, that part when it says, because Ida, Ida is yeah, so cool. And then like she starts swinging. He goes, swings are so much fun. And he goes, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> what did you just say? Be- <laughs> And that's when it's just like, it's fun. And then like, she goes, mm-hmm. my crush is Ida. And then Akun's in the back going, yay. Like, it's so <laughs> like the, 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 the tone is kind of like, oh my God, what? <laughs> like, how yeah. could she like this goofball? <laughs> it's definitely like a good, smart, dumb joke. Uh, <laughs> I but I, I remembered what I was going to say when Chris cut me off ah. and sent me training mm. into a ditch. <laughs> Halfway through this, you know, we read these books like kind of with chip in mind. I was thinking like, holy crap, we need to read Mob Psycho 100 to get another perspective on a similar kind of story, Ooh. or rather similarly oh, wow. told kind of story, because it's very like slapstick comedy, like broadly sketched characters, but it goes into more detail, I would think. Hmm. Like the characters are a little less flat, hmm. but it's drawn by a guy who is mostly a writer, and okay. that's part of the selling point. Yeah. Hmm. And maybe we should bundle that and... One Punch Man together because it's the same writer. Oh, I think that that would be a cool recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite manga is High School Debut, which is by the woman who wrote My Love Story. Mm. I guess it's a super funny tomboy, doesn't know, you know, decides that she wants to have romance in high school. So she meets this really popular guy and he tells her, okay, I'm going to teach you how to be a girl that guys would actually like to go out with. And so the humor is really there and it's great. So it was on my short list for Shoujo manga to introduce to Chip. But mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, given the, how should we say? Supply chain disaster that is manga publishing nowadays. Mm. I kind of want to, you know, it bring up books that people could actually buy. Possibly. Maybe. It'd be nice. And one yeah, that no didn't promises. have a lot of history on it and would be fun i'm not at all upset that you that you don't like it chip in fact this is helping me inform helping me to realize like 
yeah, wait a minute. When we started this, I was trying to pick stuff that Chip would like. And now I don't care anymore. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Go with that. Go with that. Because no, said, frankly, it makes for a more interesting podcast if you pick stuff that you know I'm not going to like it. No, I don't. I didn't. I didn't know you would not like it. Yeah, yeah. It's that she doesn't care. I'm not as you know, I'm not, like I'm, I'm not trying to second guess you because you actually your taste is really what you've liked has always been kind of surprising. Like, oh, that's cool. He likes that. I'm I'm an enigma wrapped mm. in a mystery, and like you know, a, a conversation like this makes me. It, it, well, it does two things. Like it, it kind of digs me in a bit on some things, and then makes me realize, oh, okay, maybe this is better than I thought in other ways. So yeah, mm. I, I I probably overall like this more now at the end of this conversation than I did at the beginning of it. I mean, you could be in a grouchy wave, listen to me mood, right? So. <laughs> First of all, my mood is always consistent, and it's amazing. I've never had a bad day in my life. <laughs> no mix-ups, no bad days. No mix-ups, no bad days. Um, <laughs> just determined, focused, <laughs> thousand percent forward. And all <laughs> my time. tattoo on my back. No mix-ups, no bad days. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but the I love talking with people about things I like that they don't because. Like Chip was saying, like you dig on some things, you relent on others. And I think it just makes yeah. me appreciate the work as a whole mm-hmm. more. Because mm-hmm. yeah. nothing's going to be for everybody. Yep. And finding the parts that like really work for me, but don't work at all for Chip, even though they're the same. I don't know. There's something cool or funny about it. Yeah, I think yeah. it is fun. Yeah. And also we're two grown men talking about comics for like 14-year-old girls. So there's only so much <laughs> <to do> here. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the- 14-year-old japanese yeah there's several layers (laughs) i mean i even have Mm. a hard time dealing with the with the romantic travails of a 14 year old japanese girl it's like just hold his hand what's the problem (laughs) it's intense it's intense (laughs) anyway yeah so let's go around for one last time and give our final words on this let's start with chris for a second i really liked (laughs) damning with faint praise time I really liked how little I had to think about this <laughs> while I was reading to enjoy it. It was just like meatloaf manga, I think is a, a phrase, comfort food manga. Yeah. It was just like, oh, it's funny and because they're dumb and like, oh, they're having a real moment, but don't worry. Like the, the author is absolutely going to pull the rug out and slowly build this relationship. If this is like four volumes, I'm going to kind of be on board. If it's like 30, I'm not going to be <laughs> as on board. But I will say, for shoujo manga, there was remarkable character progression in Aoki between the beginning of the volume and the end of the volume. And this is maybe the only really spoilery thing. So skip ahead, I don't know, 30 seconds or something if you don't want to be spoiled. But yeah, at the beginning of the book, he's in love with Hashimoto. And then due to a mix-up, he, you know, the boy who sits in front of him in class, Ida, thinks that uh, Aoki's in love with him. Except by the end of the first book, he is in love with Ida. And it's not queer baiting and it's not like, oh, this is a crazy Fraser S. farce where everybody's straight, but no one wants to have sex with anybody. It was just like, oh, he actually realized something about himself by the end of the book in a funny, charming way that like everyone was really nice to him about. And even when he finally comes out to Hashimoto by accident, she's cool. And she's just like, oh, that must have been so hard for you to be in love with him and not be able to talk about it. That's great. Like, let's work together to like fulfill our dreams, which is again such a manga cliche. It's the best. <laughs> By the end of the book, I was actually 
even more firmly like it was funny and fun but i like that you the character the main character learn something and like yeah they're gonna they could draw out this romance literally forever from this point on like who knows i haven't read volume two yet but the idea that he learned something about himself in this like more or less mainstream shoujo book is now about two boys that may or may not be in love with each other really nice really glad it exists and i highly recommend it i i i will say i i i i think that that part felt the most realistic to high school to me which is that somebody had a crush on somebody and then started ha- talking to somebody else and now has a crush on them. <laughs> <laughs> that sums up my high school experience. Absolutely. That sounds very, yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> Kip, you want to jump in and give your last thoughts on this? My final thought comes directly from the mouth of Hashimoto, <laughs> who I find really cuts through and says what we're all thinking, where she said, we talked a whole bunch, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so good. Excellent. Nicely done, Chip. Thanks. David, how about you? <laughs> Man, on a similar note, I feel like if the jokes come fast and furious enough, anything can be good. And this is one of those books where like, the velocity is so fast that I don't stop to think about all the things that Chip is saying, I think. Yeah. Or at least they don't land in the same way or hit me the same way. And I like that. And kind of building on what Chris was saying about, you know, by the end of the book, he's in love. There's like a point where the captions go from him wondering to him accepting. And there's mm. no like mm. trigger between. It's just like evolution behind the scenes. Yeah. Which is cool to see, even while it's doing, you know, riffs on riffs on riffs with all the references. Yeah, I liked it. Pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Deb, how about you? Obviously, I like this enough to recommend it, and I found this. It's always so weird to talk about shoujo manga with guys. Mm, and I, I bet. <laughs> yeah, especially especially macho dudes like us, right? <laughs> I mean, I was just watching Commando before I got on the podcast, so I totally get it. I was watching RoboCop, so I think I get it. <laughs> Which is like Commando, but self-aware and ironic, yeah. so this is kind of why this is my deal. And Chris was like, why doesn't RoboCop just kill the Joker? <laughs> yeah, you should have just killed the Joker because he was programmed not to oh. until he got fired. Oh, yeah, Dick, you're fired. <laughs> I feel like I just dragged you to a restaurant that you guys weren't comfortable in, and that's okay. <laughs> no, I would eat there every single day, and I would find out that I liked it more at the end than I thought. Yeah, I think Chris is in his element. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our little dip into the pool of shoujo manga. We will be back after a break to talk about something else. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hello and welcome to another Manga Splaining Listen to Me segment. Today we're going to be talking with someone, well, a slightly different kind of guest that we normally have. We are talking today with Samuel Satin. He is the author for Unico Awakening. It's a new Kickstarter project for retelling of Samatezuka's story about a really cute unicorn dust-ups with a bunch of goddesses. There's much more to it than that, but I'll let Samuel tell us about this. <laughs> so let's get started. It's good to be here as well. Also, hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> Deb and I are doing this interview together today. I just wanted to say that so that when I came in in like four minutes, <laughs> it didn't get weird. It was just like Chris has been here silent the whole time. <laughs> but enough of our nonsense. Sam, it's so nice to meet you. And sorry, do you prefer Sam or Sam? Uh, either one is fine. Sam's just fine. That's great. So you are a writer. You are a writer of many things, but now you're writing Unicorn Awakening, which is currently, I just opened it up and I was like, oh my God, it's over 100,000 on. It's like, no, that's Canadian. You're not quite there, but you're going to get there, I feel, on the Kickstarter for Unico. You're 100,000 Canadian though. Congratulations. Ooh, yeah, you can. <laughs> uh, can you tell us, um, I mean, we can just read the synopsis, which is a thing that we do, but it's probably better now that we actually have the actual creator here. Could you tell us what Unico Awakening is about? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me on, Chris and Deb. Really appreciate it. Love your podcast. Yeah, so Unico Awakening is, we call it a reimagining of Tezuko Samu's original Unico. It essentially builds off of a, this, this story anyway, builds off of a story in the original book called a Ca The Cat and the Broomstick. Mm -hmm. Because in, for those who may not know, the original book was made up of serialized comics from 1974 to 1976 by Tezuka. And there were different chapters. So each one kind of, you know, was episodic in that in, in that way, where Unigo goes from, first there's an introduction where we get to learn about what happens to Unigo, his whole entire background, which is essentially being capturing the ire of the goddess Venus, who banishes him from the heavens to be taken through the sands of space and time until he forgets everything he was, and he has amnesia, and actually she wants to leave him on this place, I believe, called the Hill of Oblivion, where he'll wander in, in internal forgetfulness. It's, it's really grim. <laughs> and then he is kind of, he's pitied by this character called Westwind, who ends up rescuing him from the Hill of Oblivion, but not without taking him to, but the only way that she can conceal him from the gods and from Venus's ire is by taking him from place to place, from time period to time period, and leaving him in these places for a very select amount of time, where he can make friends and talk to people, and you know, spread his his kindness, which is kind of his superpower. Hmm. And then whenever whenever he starts to do that, he kind of attracts the, the attention of the gods. So the West Wind has to pick him up again, take him to a new place, and wipe his memory, so he never remembers what he does or the friends that he makes. So this story in particular takes from one of the chapters called like, The Cat and the Broomstick, in which Unico meets a small cat in the original comics. The cat's name is Chow, but it also takes the human form of Katie, but actually uh, working with, actually Deb's help, actually, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> you know, 
Chloe, which was to combine kind of Chow and Katie together to make the cat's oh. name Chloe, because we thought it might be a little confusing to readers to have two different names for the for the, the same character. Anyway, so Unico meets Chloe. They go on this kind of adventure in which Chloe try, is trying to basically is is trying to find a witch in order to basically in order to protect her against humankind to shed her felineness. Mm. She realized that Unico can do magic and turn her into a human, so she ends up kind of having this bargain with Unico where she is turned into a human for a little bit of time every single day. And from there, she attracts the attention of this sinister character named Baron de Ghost, that's kind of the keeper of the forest, who's also a sadistic hunter, who uh, ends up trying to kind of lure the, the human form of Chloe into his clutches. And Unico has to help save her from becoming, from being, I, I suppose you say, from being killed <laughs> by, um, by, by Baron de Ghost. So that's kind of the story that, that, that that's kind of, and also in the background, there's also this, this old woman character who befriends uh, Unico and, and the cat, and they kind of form this little family. And so it's a lot of, and so, you know, thematically, there are a lot of themes there about like, Friendship and appearances and the falseness of and the falseness of you know and, and, and the problems and problems with vanity and things like that. Yeah, it ends up having a lot of really really you know significant themes revolving around a a story with you know about you know a little cat doesn't want to be a cat anymore. <laughs> so this is essentially a graphic novel adaptation of like a short Tezuka story, like a chap single chapter or a couple chapters. It's one of the longer ones. So it's a longer okay. chapter. So basically, I think it's the longest chapter in the book, The Cat and the Broomstick, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons we picked it, because we thought it would be, there's a lot to kind of grab onto in that story. Wow, this, I just realized that this method means that you could do a graphic novel for each one of these stories in the, the book. You've kind of set yourself up a, a pretty fun way of adapting this material, actually. <laughs> so that's, that would be a great way to move forward. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd, that'd be wonderful. So you're working with Gurihiru on this project, who is an artistic duo out of Japan. They're friends of Deb's and I, mine, I guess, who we've known for a long time. We brought them to North America a few years ago. And they're actually really huge in Japan for their work doing sort of SD and super cute versions of Marvel characters. They had like lines of merch and everything. It seems like, and they've done, like I've got a Star Wars book that they did. They did a visual dictionary in English or Japanese to English dictionary of Star Wars characters, uh, which is really fun. They've done so many really interesting things. Unico seems like, I, I don't know that I've actually ever heard of them doing like a full-length graphic novel project like this. How did you get them on board? So, yeah, that's a, yeah, it's a really fascinating question. So, like, well, first of all, like, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was actually able to see, like, more about what they do in Japan because, I mean, basically, you know, here we have the, they've been, They've been kind of known for their work on Marvel properties and like, you know, in DC and especially more recently, like Superman smashes the clan, which they won an Eisner for. Oh, you're, you're of course, of course. And they did the Avatar books too. And they did Power Pack. Power Pack. Marvel as well. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess those are graphic novels. Well, that was a bad. No, uh, no, 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 but, but, it's, but, it's, but, it's, but it's also really interesting because you're right. They also, and they also, I think they're working on a new Ultraman story in Japan called mm. Ultraman and Other Gene. And they're also doing mm. this Twisted Wonderland design for Disney in Japan. I, oh, wow. Know, I'm not sure. I don't know much about it because I think it's specifically for Japan through Disney Japan, but it's yeah. called Twisted Wonderland and there's this whole entire universe. It's true that they mostly, they mostly do like, you know, design and illustration is what I think of them as when I think of them as Japanese creators, I don't necessarily think of them as 
manga co which is weird because all of their comic stuff really does seem to be in north america i think of them as like illustrators designers like graphic artists sort of a thing and that that's kind of what i was getting at but yeah of course they have a huge graphic novel north american pop like like thing going on too so yeah dumb question but i think i pulled it out no no no, no that's great. It's, it's great and also, and also actually in the they have an interview coming out soon on a different venue but they they were talking about like one thing i did read is they both went to school i believe for marketing and packaging design oh Really? So that would actually oh. make sense because they actually mm. went from, which I had no idea until I read it today, earlier today, this morning. But it's like they basically went to school for, for packaging design. <laughs> so that makes yeah. sense that they'd be like, and like, I think they called it environmental design is what they called it. Yeah. So, you know, so that it was like, you know, I think that's a, that's a great observation. And like, as far as how I got them on board, the story kind of, well, first I, through Deb, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually met a person named Vince Shortino, who was working with a lot of different, he works with a lot of different people in Japan and different artists in Japan. And he had a relationship with Tezuka Productions. I was able to pitch them on an idea. <laughs> it's basically what ended up happening. From there, I met another person through Deb, Aki Anagi. Mm. Aki is Kurihiro's representative. We went about trying to kind of pitch the idea because when I first saw, like we were looking through Aki's kind of like, list of people that he represents and mm. Kurihiro was on that list and we kind of both we were both talking and we came to the conclusion like oh my god they would be like the best team for this project because they just like their style really would lend incredibly oh yeah it's super them. clean and really crisp. yeah and so we went and we asked them and actually first they said no they were like absolutely not like we were they, they, I'm not sure if it was, it was that forceful but <laughs> they were like they were like no because we are we they were they were nervous about mm. the idea of like taking on Tezuka's work and trying to put something forward in that vision because they first of all they were weren't sure if they were going to be able to have, like what the style had to be like if they had to like adhere to a specific style which they did not have to do they could do their own thing but also because they were just nervous about kind of taking on Tezuka's creations so they ended up like you know but then like I guess Aki continued to talk to them. And we continued to have conversations about what the story might look like. And the more they started to wrap their head around it, the more they got excited about the idea of designing their own Unico and being able to bring their own selves into it and their own ideas and kind of do Gurihiru's spin on Unico. And that's how we got to where we got to. Hmm. So then they were able to, they, were, they said yes to the project and it was kind of like this incredible feeling of, excitement and joy to have that happen yeah the rest um has just been awesome it's very tricky to find the right fit for this project because tezuka has tezuka's work has a very specific look and unico is a very cute character in a tezuka's world but it also has its dark themes like it has some mm. it's it's not like a super sweet 100 percent sweet 100 percent happy story Tezuka can't help himself. <laughs> he has to do yeah. stuff that is has some dark themes that maybe don't feel like they would be normal in a kid's book. Especially today. Yeah. Especially today. Yeah. I actually I was talking about this earlier. I was mm. saying that, you know, maybe that's it's a great observation because like I was like, yeah, I don't know if you were to put if you were to re-release the original Unigo today, would that be considered 
kid's book. Right, right. It actually is difficult. My husband's a children's bookseller, mm-hmm. and there's a real dearth of manga appropriate for, for younger readers. Like, there is stuff out there, and obviously the North American market's sort of jumping in with both feet, the middle grade stuff right now. But Unico is one where it's like, oh, this is really good, but there's some content stuff here. It's a little bit scary for your younger your, your younger readers, so maybe keep it on a high shelf or maybe keep it something because it looks super cute, and then inside there's some dark stuff. Being of a certain age myself, like I am definitely old enough to remember how children's media was in the 70s and, and early 80s, sort of before the sort of the lights were all turned on and everyone was kicked out. But like, <laughs> man, you grew up watching the Hobbit movie, the Ralph Bakshi Hobbit oh movie, or The Last Unicorn, <laughs> or stuff like never you story. know, the horse dies in the never ending story. Like, like, oh my God. Uh, like all that, all that stuff from when I was a kid is a lot heavier. In a fantasy way, I guess, or in like a darkness, evil kind of a way. There's a lot of heavy themes in today's children's media that's really good. Like watch Gumball, Amazing World of Gumball for 15 minutes, and that'll blow your mind what they're talking about on a supposed kids program. But it's it's a different thing. So like looking at this kind of stuff, like these kind of dark themes, is that something you're actually carrying into the new book? Are you actually going to try and sort of replicate that? Or, or is it more about making it like very firmly a graphic novel for today's like middle grade, you know, or, or tween audience? No, no, for, for, for good and for bad, uh, as far as the market goes, we are definitely trying to adapt that same kind of feeling that comes in the original, that feeling. That, oh, wow. That's, uh, wow. That's, that's something that's really important. I think that we, we get that in there. And actually, something that, I, again, this interview will, will reveal it, so I'm not saying anything that's not going to be revealed, but I didn't know that Yorihiro, especially one of the members, is super into horror. What? <laughs> I didn't know that until recently. I came. I figured that when I was in Japan, I was like, "Oh, oh my god!" That's, that's but it actually like. So we both talked about how how Unico is like choto horror, <laughs> like you know, it's a little. <laughs> it's like it's, it's a little like bit horror for kids in some ways because there is this kind of sense in which in which the original stories like they do have this incredibly scary parts to them that are not that are that you know are complex and you know where, where it makes you think about things like loneliness eternal loneliness like you know things like that which is which is you know really complex emotions but that's what's interesting about it to me that's what that's what's so fascinating and wonderful about Minigo is is this kind of almost like almost like too cute character right in some ways that is uh. laid on top of this has this dilemma that is mm. that is torturous for to, to say to say the least to be to be perfectly frank i mean you know he has to be he has a very tortured existence and he, yes very much so he yeah. perseveres through the whole entire thing and some of the creatures that he encounters some of the things that, he, that happen to him but at the same time there's a lot of meaning in there and i think that's what i missed specifically about those late 70s and mid 80s those 70s 80s you know stories that you were talking about is that they didn't for better for for lack of a better word, they didn't talk those phrase, they didn't, they didn't talk down to children. Yeah. You know, they kind of were like, you guys can handle this. You know, you can handle mm-hmm. these more complex stories because, you know, they're human stories. And I think it's okay for us to talk about bigger things and you're not going to we're not going to destroy you, you know? <laughs> Which I think I think that now there's a little more trepidation around maybe letting them see all of it. At least in this country, yeah, there's a little more, like it's it, we're a little safe. We have, like, we have the the the, the, the what you call it when you're bowling the bumper bumper lanes, you know, on our on, our, on some on some. And I understand yeah. the reasons the reasoning for that, but it's but no for this for this Unico, we're really trying to kind of recapture and really homage that original feeling 
that comes, which is a combination of like beauty and a little bit of, a little bit of fear, a little bit of, a little bit of dread. So, I mean, I would, I wouldn't necessarily call it a kid's book. Like, I think it's mm. in the best way. I think it's an all ages book. Yes. And don't mean it in all ages and it's good for kids, but I mean, it, it's enjoyable for adults too, I think. I think you're right. And like, actually, um, one of the contributors to, we have these things in our campaign called artifacts in which people are making these kind of print objects. Mm. And one of the contributors named Matt, Maddie Cobb was saying that, you know, don't be deceived by this cute little unicorn. It's a really powerful story, <laughs> you know? And I think that that's kind of the thing that, that when you say that, that's what I feel as well. I'm like it is an old, it's it, like, I can totally see how it could be in all ages. You can read this in different age groups, but I don't see it as like a kid's specific story. And we're not, we're definitely not telling it like that. So that's not the, that's not the goal. It's funny. First time we went to Japan, we brought back souvenirs for my brother's kids and we brought back a picture book. There's a Tezuka picture book. Tezuka, obviously, Tezuka Productions sort of constantly is reinventing their properties within Japan. It very rarely comes to North America, which I think is very interesting for something like a project like this. I know most recently that maybe the one that North American manga fans might have heard of is the uh, Tezukami anthology, which had like international creators doing sort of takes on North America or on, on Tezuka creations, which is, and this is very different than that. Anyway, well, there's so or much to dig Pluto, into there. Honestly. Or Pluto, for example, are having like. Yeah. Absolutely, having Urasawa and Tezuka's son go back and redo the Pluto arc in Astro Boy. Yeah, they did a Tezuka Moderna. It was like one of their reimaginings. And it was when they were basically like really cute, sort of super deformed, flat versions of all of Tezuka characters. I love them. I've still got all my like figures. I'll throw them in the show notes for this. It was a picture book. And we gave them to my, my, my nieces and nephews. And it was like accounting book and it was just like one and it was like astro boy and he was like just the one of them and there was like two and it was like i don't know two like or the th- three eyed you know was like number three and yada yada anyway t- 10 was like sc- like a skull man character so you're flipping and it's all these brightly colored illustrations you get to 10 and it's just this like monstrous bad guy on a pile of skulls and it's the last double page spread in the book so the kids would like were reading it and they really enjoying it all the second to the last page and they all started crying they were like all under the guy and they were just like oh my like and it's like what? your brother gave me so much crap i was like why did you get that kid that book and i'm like because it's a beautiful book and i loved it i didn't realize they'd be wounded by the last page so anyway while they were growing up they're like that's the book where it's good until the last page so we don't read the last page and i'm like yeah you don't read the last page i get it anyway i was like you could just give me that book back they're like we had to actually get rid of it when we were getting rid of the kids stuff because they didn't want it in the house anymore and i'm like no that book is like a classic it's like 50 bucks now anyway give it to uh, me yeah there's <laughs> there, there darkness in the tezuka stuff for sure so i i totally think that that's that's really wild, actually, that you kept that in there, because that is not how children's publishing in North America goes right now or anything for for kids. And I guess, is that why Kickstarter was actually like attractive to you is because you didn't have to file off the edges of the story you wanted to tell, I guess, to fit it into North American ideas? Yeah, listeners won't won't be seeing this right now, but I've been nodding like enthusiastically. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, radio. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, everything that you just said in, about Tezuka, and then also about 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 this book industry. Yeah, one of the main reasons is because I really do think, and it's one of the. I mean, without sounding overly critical of you know major publishing, which does a lot of wonderful things, of course, I do think that there's a there's there is a kind of narrow passage through which children's literature children's books and children's graphic novels are allowed to pass in, 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 in this country 
So like, even for example, when I was working on a book, a graphic novel a few years ago, you know, we had, there were very specific rules that ended up putting forth. Like, so I had a character that had that smoked cigarettes or something mm-hmm. like cigarettes. That, that, that chant, that's, that's out. That's out. That's out. Yeah. You, you can't have characters, you can't have characters drinking. You can't have characters like, you know, there are certain things that you're not supposed to, supposed to do. And that was, and I understand, but I also think it's like, I, that's one of the reasons why we chose Kickstarter for this route, because Unigo is a story that is very deceiving in my opinion, in a good way. It's very like, you yeah, because yeah. basically when you look at it, you do see this really cute kind of like really cute unicorn character. And most people, honestly, when they first see it, they say, Oh, it's like my little pony or it's like, you know, or it's like, you know, or it's like, oh, it's another little cute unicorn thing for little kids. You know, that's their, that's where their mind goes first because of all the things that we have to, all the references that we have, you know, in, in the States. But when you actually read Unico, it's a surprisingly complex story. And, and, and I think that that is one of the reasons why we were, I was not sure that traditional publishing would be the way to, to pitch it out because I think that, I think that now that it is out there, I think that people will see it and understand it and want to pick it up possibly in the future, you know, but I think it had to be one of those things to be seen, to believed, be believed, like, because yeah. like, it's like one of those things where it's like, when you try to pitch Unico to a traditional publisher, it's like, okay, so it's cute, but it's not, and it's dark, but it's light, and it's like, you know, and you're trying to walk them through these weird ideas about what the story is about, which is Tezuka in a nutshell, and like, you know, and I, especially in, in this market, I think that, I'm not sure how many people would have been like, I get that. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So that, that's basically like, that's why I think that Kickstarter was the best route because you can actually get people to kind of approach an idea, a little less trepidation. They can just kind of mm-hmm. see it come to be and you can be like, okay, I can see how this can work once it's in front of me. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I, I should probably like, we're talking about in this market, in this market, but like, Frankly, we just got back from France, Deb and I, and then I went to Italy to the Children's Book Fair. Japan, obviously, this is this is not a project that's happening in Japan. This is a project that's happening in America. Everybody's the same way. Everybody thinks that they know their local market the best. Every publisher and every industry thinks that they've got the the, the tightest handle on things and want every want everything to be adjusted to their local taste. I think that's maybe one of the strengths of crowdfunding or of going, you know, on your own to do stuff is that like actually we could just do this thing and then it'll be a huge success like the you know the Unicoka Kickstarter already is and then people will be like okay you've proven that it's successful now we want a piece it would be nice if it worked the other way around <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yes because i mean like i'm not sure if anybody has has told you this before but running a kickstarter is very stressful <laughs> oh yeah that's why we didn't want to do it frankly yeah it's it's hard and so it's like i mean you know it's it's also it's exhilarating but you know you, you've done this and so it's just like it's it's a lot and so yeah if we could have gone in a different direction definitely would have been interesting it's it's weird and i don't you know if you don't want to talk about this that's fine we sure. can edit this out you're doing a unico kickstarter and there already was a unico kickstarter and it was a kickstarter to publish the original unico and that's from a company who's had a lot of problems with their kickstarters for tezuka material was that something like when i heard actually that you were going to do this project through kickstarter i was like Oh, God bless them, because they may poisoned the well for a lot of that manga Kickstarter stuff. We can bleep out the name of the company. <laughs> but you want to talk about that? Like, cause I don't know that I ever would have I don't know that I ever would have tried to do this because of that. I'm happy to. I mean, basically, OK, so here's the way that I I kind of approach it, because you're right. I like, you know, he has a very, <laughs> a very like entrenched history with Tezuka and with Tezuka 
properties and with Unico in particular, which was a kind of one, one of their biggest projects because it was a full color, you know, reprint of this book. Like, you know, I actually have the. I actually have it too. <laughs> yeah. So just like, yeah, you know, these, these are the ones I have the Japanese versions that I got from. Oh, that's pretty. Like, you know, I don't, actually, oh, it's gorgeous, I actually don't yeah. have the English version on anything, but digi- I have it digitally, but I don't have the actual hard copy. But yeah, it, and it's had a lot of problems. And one of the things that we discussed was like, do we need to say, do we need to come out and say, we are not DMP. We are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have nothing. But then I, then I kind of like, I hoped, and I think this is, this is what kind of ended up to a certain extent happening was that people would see Gurihiru's art and know that we're coming from a completely different place. That was my hope mm. for people. And, and, yeah. and I did see that when, when it did first launch, there were some people who were saying, oh, I'm actually really happy. This is not a DMA project. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like and that's, yeah. Because we hope. That is them <laughs> sleeping in the bed they've made, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that it's interesting to see that with a success like this and with so much work going into it, that the well isn't poisoned. I think that for a long time, people thought that not only Kickstarter manga, which, you know, there was a couple of other projects that didn't come to fruition on Kickstarter manga, even with Tezuka Project, there was a couple of other Kickstarters that didn't come in in comics that maybe it wasn't the best way to go forward unless it was something that you were doing that was like 100% your own thing. And it's, you know, it's nice. It's refreshing to see something be successful, to see people be really into it. And that's one of the reasons actually I wanted to talk to you about it. Oh, that's, yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, and I can, I, I'm, I feel happy to talk about any of this. I mean, a lot of this is due to the, a lot of the reason why this is working, in my opinion, the reason why this project has come together correctly is because of it has really truly, and I mean this in the truest sense of the word, but an international collaboration. Yeah. Because I think that some of the issues that we, that people, that at least we have with like, you know, collaborations with Japan in particular, Japanese artists is that there's kind of this, well, some, sometimes I think there's this want to kind of capture Japanese talent without actually collaborating, engaging. Yeah. Without, yeah. yeah, without actually working with the talent, just kind of like saying, I want you to do this for me and let's do this thing. Let's capture this idea. Thankfully, due to people like Akiyanagi, for example, who were able to really bridge the different. I mean, so for example, the reason I was in Japan throughout April was so I could go to Tezuka Productions and sit down, talk to them, and then yeah. I could go talk to Gurihiru, and we could have meetings, and we could figure out like how to make sure that this is not just like some project that you know Sam is working on, and everybody. We, I, I mean, I, I mean this wholeheartedly. Like, I, I. I do not consider this to be like my project. This is like an R project where everybody is like weighing in on what they want the story to be, what they want the work to be like. And we want to work with Tesla Productions as well to make to make sure that we are doing our due diligence in that area as well. So it's harder. <laughs> it's yeah. definitely harder to do that because you have to like, you know, there's a lot of like late meetings and a lot of like making sure that everybody is informed and everything is signed off on. But I think that if you can, if you can really put all that together, that's how you can make a project like this work. And I think there is a model there, just a little bit harder, I think, than, than some of the models that people would like, like turnkey models that some people would like to have, which I think is one of the problems with that maybe in the past with some things like this. It's just a theory of mine. But, but I want to ask you too about, because like, obviously this is not just a matter of you writing the story, right? You have to no. get an okay from Tezuka. You had to write a proposal and run it by them. And, you know, it wasn't a sure thing that they were, it wasn't like Tessica approached you and said, hey, do this for us. It was like, oh, we, we you had to go to them and say, can we do this? And here's what, 
we're going to do this. We have this. We think we want to do it this way. What do you think? So how did so how did they react to all this? By the way, did they give you any guidance or tell you do this, don't do this, or how did it They've go? They've been really great to work with. I think that so what I gathered. Okay, so you know, there's a few things that a few different aspects of this. One is before I went to Japan, and one was while I was in Japan. So mm-hmm. before I went to Japan, we were doing a lot of back and forth with Tezuka and. Um, actually, and like, for example, we're working on the extended story summary, which Deb actually edited, which was great. <laughs> it did a great edit of the initial story summary, which we, which we put through to Tezuka Productions after it was translated. And they had very few comments. Their whole entire thing was like, we really feel like you have, like a, and I would, I would hear this in the, when I went there as well, a core understanding of the story that is being told. So they do not seem like they really get into the granular details of, of the story. They really just want to be like, do you kind of understand what it's about? Like, do you understand what this story is about? And are you able to homage it in a way that you think is appropriate? So for example, the only things they were asking about was like, they had this really funny thing where um, I had some stray dogs in the book. We had some stray, we had some stray dogs. And it was like, and they, in the story summary, and they were like, wait, is, are stray dogs in America? Or aren't you guys overrun by feral hogs? <laughs> and I was like, huh. I was like, that was like, that was, I don't, I have no idea where, where that came from, but it was like, I, I, well, I actually think I do, because there was that whole entire story out of Texas about the feral hogs. Oh, feral hogs and why everyone yeah, was so it's like, I think that somebody read that over at Tezuka and thought, oh, wow, America's overrun by feral hogs. But yeah, so like that was the only step that really like when they, they really liked the idea of kind of reinventing Unigo and they've been, tr- I think they were trying to do it for a while, but they, but the problem with the character is that people, a lot of people and a lot of Westerners wanted to adapt, adapt Unigo and use Unigo, but they didn't really go beyond the fact that, oh, it's a cute unicorn. Oh. And so when they, when I think that the idea that somebody actually, like we really, we really tried to give them a story <laughs> that we that really kind of built into Unigo, and they liked it. They liked that idea. Of like, okay, this is a story that can work. And not to say that we just gave them a story, I and mean, we definitely worked hard on that story. But it's like at the same time, like they they really, in my view, they really appreciated the idea of trying to like bring Unigo to a new generation of readers in a really fresh way that didn't just focus on oh, cute character to sell clothing or to to do a collaboration yeah. with you know this is a, this could be a story and that was a big thing for them so as far as i was able to observe so sam if i'm understanding you correctly you went to you had you you know you went to T- tezuka productions you had ideas but you were the one who chose unico as a property to work on why unico like of everything tezuka's done like hundreds of thousands of of pages of comics what was it about Unico specifically that you were like, no, this is the property that I want to do? Why not something more action venture? Why not something more like, I mean, I read your your interview with Anime News Network and you said MW was the one that actually really connected with you. Like, what was it about Unico that you're like, no, this is the thing that I think I could do the best job with that's going to resonate, you know, for for a project? I think it's a great question. I've been, and I've thought about it, I've been thinking about it a lot the more that I've asked it, is that I think it's because it's a fable. Mm. I'm really, I love fables. I'm a huge, I, I'm, I'm really into it. And, and when I say a fable, it's almost like, I don't mean a Disney fable. I mean like a classic, like 
classic fable, an old fable with, 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 with moments of brightness and moments of brutality. And it has these kind of, the kind of dichotomy that, that, that I really think is fascinating. And, and I actually, and I, I do, I, I will circle back and say like, you know, the book MW, which I really do love because I got really like changed my life when I read it. It makes sense to me that he wrote it at the same, they wrote Unico at the same time as MW. They are very much two sides of a, of, of a coin. Mm. And so I, I do pick up on a lot of the emotions in MW in Unico as well. If that can be. Sure. Two protagonists who've been done wrong by forces greater than them. Yes. One becomes a serial killer and the other is an adorable yes. unicorn who spreads love and <laughs> Sure. Who doesn't see that? Exactly. And I think that, you know, the adorable unicorn route is a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> a little easier to take, and also just like I, yeah, I, I think that the, the fantastic the, the the idea of being expelled by the gods for being able to spread kindness, or being like you know hunted by the gods for being able to spread kindness, is an incredibly interesting idea. I love that idea yeah. because it really just I think gets at the heart of what Tezuka was about, and for me, and also I think it really like in some ways it's, it reminds a little of Phoenix, oh, which absolutely. is like which is kind of like a story of reincarnation and. That really fascinated me. So I, I thought it was just, I think it's just a beautiful, complex story. And I really just think more people should, should be able to hear it. And also, we, I hope, we hope that doing this, I, I should say that we hope that doing this will actually lead to a really good reprint of, of the original book as well. A real one. <laughs> a real good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've all got our fingers crossed. Here's hoping. Yeah, Deb, anything else you wanted to say? Or should we thank Sam for being here today? <laughs> well, I guess... Yeah, I, mean, I think you brought up some really great points about, you know, the collaboration between Japan and North American comics creators is quite rare and rare to do it well. So I'm really excited to see what you're doing here. Um, I wish you all the luck with the Kickstarter and I hope it breaks all the records. Thanks, Deb. And honestly, I hope everybody hears this, but I really, and I mean this, this would not have happened without you as well. Aww. So, you know, I really hope that that comes across. Oh, thank you, Sam. It's so gratifying to see it go from an idea to something that's just so well fleshed out and so so well received by people. I mean, just the it talent really, that you got to give you artwork to go along with the Kickstarter is just amazing. Top notch. That's awesome. Well, this has been Mong Explaining Listen to Me, ostensibly hosted by Deb and I. <laughs> but we're here with Sam. Dutton, uh, the Kickstarter is live now if you want to go check it out. if Just type in Unico Kickstarter. There's no point in me giving a URL over the air. Or check out the show notes. We'll have a we'll have a clickable link there. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. All right, and we are back. And thanks to our edifying discussion about my love mix up, we now have time for shout outs where maybe we can, I don't know, mix it up a little bit. Tell me guys, what do you <laughs> what's what's been cranking your crank this week? Oh, that is an amazing, Jesus, amazing choice of words. That is private. Wow, private response. But I got to say, my shout out's related to cranking your crank. (laughs) 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 So we read Birds of Shangri La and Dick Fight Island. I forget if it was back to back or very close together. And I realized editing the Birds of Shangri La episode, there was something I forgot to mention, which is like Birds of Shangri La had the soft boys. Dick Fight Island had like the slightly rougher guys. And what I meant to say on the Dick Fight Island episode was, thank goodness, finally, some guys who look like Becky Cloonan drew them. Because that's what I've been waiting for this whole time while reading DL. 
just like slightly rough bearded yeah. dudes. Yeah. So shout out to Becky Clonan, who apparently had a huge effect on me that I did not know about until reading Dick Fight Island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So in your head, the attractive kind of like kind of a little bit gay man is drawn by Becky Clunan. Uh Not even a little bit gay. Like her Conan is like top three Conan takes for me. Like that yeah. kind of slim, younger Conan. Mm. Like yeah, she just has a that. good take on. I don't want to say sexiness. Like that feels too kind of small. Like like a sultry. macho sexiness kind of thing. Yeah, sultry. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah, a real, that's that's really cute. I mentioned her when we were doing the wave. Listen to me, because mm. the radio boss mm-hmm. just had that kind of like that yes! Becky Clunan yes! kind of sultry. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Oh my god. Yeah. Becky Clunan is kind of up there with SM because, like, I, I reviewed an SM manga, I think, a decade ago. And my, what do you say? I described it as SM draws boys' love with men I'd actually like to F. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. M I A F. No, M I L A F. I don't want to make more work for you, David, so that's why I didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, FN and SN and <laughs> D in all the plays. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the next shout out? Yeah, beat that. Whoever's next. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll go. Go for it. I watched the stand up special of Jared Carmichael, the Rothaniel, the HBO oh. stand up uh, special. It's it's really really good. Like I've I've seen a few clips of him kind of over the years. I'm like, oh, he's he's pretty he's pretty good stand up. But the the special is kind of all about him coming out, and it's so conversational, and it's such a mm. it's such a interesting kind of low key way of doing stand up that it kind of like it, it was excellent on its own, but also just like a really interesting exploration of where stand up can go because a lot of the audience kind of talks back to him not in a heckling way but like kind of asking questions yeah and him he's kind of thinking it through on the stage mm-hmm. and it's shot in such a really intimate way i guess a bo burnham shot it he he directed it and it, it's really mm-hmm. beautiful on 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 every level and there's some really solid jokes as well so i recommend that a few years ago they worked on eight together also on hbo and oh. it's another one where it's just his just him on stage in the audience just kind of going back and forth and his Okay. That guy's really fascinating to me. Like in terms of being creative, in terms of being like the business moves he makes to support his creativity. Like he was doing documentaries about just his family and it was still funny but also like heart-wrenching. Wow. Oh, really? Mm. Huh. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And also he had a sitcom, The Carmichael Show, which they shot <laughs> on the old All in the Family set, which I kind of love. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Fascinating guy. Like Google yeah. Gerard Carmichael. He rules. <laughs> Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll go do. I'll get mine. Sure. I just got finished watching the Ranking of Kings last week. It's an anime. Mm. It's actually an interesting fa- fantasy manga. It's about a, a young boy. He's supposed. To, he's the eldest son of the of this king who is very powerful, but he is very weak and small, despite his father and both his mother and his father being very strong and big. And he's also deaf. He's very kind hearted. So it's interesting because it has this classic fairy tale fantasy tr- setup, but as the story unfolds, the characters, you know, like like the mean stepmother and the you know the selfish brother who's the younger prince, you know, like it sets up certain character conventions and then it turns it on its head. Hmm. It's really smart and interesting uh, take on 
fantasy manga, uh, fantasy stories. Mm. I, I thought it was really heartwarming and fun. And I wanted to, I kept thinking to myself, oh, you know, this is the kind of, it would be a really interesting anime or manga to recommend to young, to younger readers because there's so little of that. But there is some scenes in the middle where, yeah, hands get chopped off and things mm. get I'm in. bloody. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> it, has a, it has more grown-up mindset. So go into mm. it fresh. Mm. I don't want to spoil too much because when I discovered it and watched it, it was just addictive. It, it constantly challenged my assumptions. and It was really heartwarming and wonderful. Oh, cool. It has like a really mm. simple visual style, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Okay, yeah. I've heard a lot about that one, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, take, check it out because I think I didn't go in with any expectations. Just that everyone was saying, "Oh, it's so good, it's so good," and mm. then when I watched it, and I thought, "Oh, they're right. This is really <laughs> interesting." <laughs> so, anyway, Chris, cool. anything for you? Yeah, in the spirit of enlightened self-interest, I wanted to give a shout out to the work we've been doing on Mong Explaining Extra, the publishing effort that we're doing. By the time you listen to this, we'll have done. Eight chapters of Susumu Higa's Okinawa. We just started on the second book last week, which is called Mabui, and it's about uh, life on the islands right now, especially in regards to the Japanese central government and the American military bases. It's kind of unlike any manga that's coming out right now, which is really interesting. And a couple free chapters there. Please definitely check it out. We've also done original manga with Ken Nimura, who we had here on the podcast for an interview a couple of episodes ago. We did the Taiyo Matsumoto original manga, Higoro, which was a lot of fun. And by the time you listen to this, we'll have done an original manga with Kazuhide Ichikawa, a gay mangaka, who we actually asked a bunch of questions. We being me actually saying, what if we did a manga about this? And he's like, great, I'll do it. Those are the questions. And then he turned in a bunch of finished pages about being a gay mangaka, about making doujinshi and selling it in Japan, about uh, being gay in Japan. It's a lot of fun. And that actually will have probably just gone up or will be going up just as we're recording this. So yeah, mangasplainingextra.com. Please check it out. It is a Substack. It is a newsletter. It is a website. It's an app now. <laughs> it's all of the things. Check out some some manga. We're doing some really unique stuff, and we've got a lot more on the way. I was going to say, it's a combination Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> we got a KFC shoved in there. Oh, KFC gravy, like with the, the Pizza Hut no. dipping in oh, anyway, so, oh. no, it's yeah. that's, I mean, that's oh. what I'm going to bleep this episode. <laughs> that's fine. KFC gravy's going downhill. That's fine. Oh. But yeah, yeah, no, we're uh, we're having fun and we've got some cool models. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for the shill. Thanks for letting us shill. Oh, and actually Deb's been writing some amazing articles too, I should point out. She wrote an amazing food and cooking manga sort of overview and then there's like a second part coming any day now that's like, hey, we talk about food cooking manga, food manga and cooking manga on the show, but like the deep dive that Deb has done here and recommendations and stuff is awesome. And that's that one's free to free to read as well. So yeah, please please check out our thing that we're doing. Thank you. All right, I'll subscribe. I get it. Yeah, jeez. Because you're uh, going to find out about the manga finally. about competitive eating that hardly anyone has read, but should. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another enlightening, romantic, maybe kind of silly. I don't know. I mean, let's let's go back to this. Friend. This is a slightly silly podcast about some good, eager adults. I'll take it. <laughs> Not a whiff of horniness in sight. 
No, we had enough of that last week. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you soon. And manga explaining episode 62 my love mix up by aruko and mataru hinekurik thank you for listening for our next episode we'll be reading all my darling daughters by fumi yoshinaga want to pick up a copy please consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options you can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com and don't forget to check out our newsletter and publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thank you to DIDS for their musical accompaniment for this episode.